invite, though, nobody has to come forward, but all you kids, and only kids, are, uh, are invited up. Uh, any kids who want to join us, like we do once in a while, right on the carpet, right around me here. If you folks are, are new or newer to Liberty, we do this at least quarterly just to get all the kids in, in the worship service. Hey, James, let's, let's go ahead and put those back, brother. Let's go ahead. Put them back. Um, you know, it, it's a relatively new thing. It's a fine thing. But it's a really relatively new thing in the history of the worship of God's people that we get all the grown-ups upstairs and we just send the kids away. Just get out of here. Just let us not hear your squeaks and your smells and feel your wiggles and all that. And it's fine. And it's weird if they're never here. Yeah, let's every. How about everybody leave the? It's actually not supposed to be candy. It's for. I'll just give you a secret. Pastor Jose, who comes in here at 11:30, is for his breath. Don't tell me I said so. So that's not candy for us. That's for Pastor Jose's breath. You see the candy? Think Pastor Jose's breath, okay? Not for your craving for sweets, okay? So if you got one and I didn't notice, go ahead and put that back on the way back to your parents. On the way back in a moment. Okay, so that's what the kids are doing here. We do this at least quarterly. And just to give you a little bit of a setup, um, we do it on fifth Sundays always. Like when there's five Sundays in the month, we always do it on fifth Sundays. But the way that holidays are working out and like some families in town who's not often here, and some of you who are almost always here are out of town. We're going to do it Thanksgiving weekend, the end of November. And just going just gonna to throw this out there now, Christmas is on a Sunday this year. And you all have some wonderful, wonderful Christmas traditions. And they're great, and they might not all involve worship, although some of our brothers and sisters in the faith worship on Christmas morning no matter whether it's on a Sunday or not. And let me just throw this out there. Let's not make it the really loud statement that it is when you don't gather for Sunday worship on Christmas morning, like the feast when Jesus was born. That doesn't mean you have to come here. But wherever you are in the world, if there's a service going on, you should go. You should go worship on Christmas. I do think it's something that I need to hear because it doesn't fit in squarely with my tradition. But it's something our culture, like, desperately needs to hear. And it is loud if you think about it. <laughs> like, like, we are observing the feast when Jesus was born. Let's make that the day we don't go to church. Just throwing that out there and commending it to you all without any condemnation. But I do think it's true and that we need to hear it. So I'll hear from you later on about that. <laughs> that being said, I'm going to talk to you people now. Hey, there's a lot of you this morning. Great to see you all. Hey, I got a question for you all as we get started. I don't need that out, brother. Let's put that away. We sang a song a moment ago. We sang a song a moment ago uh, called Amazing Grace, and we all said something a little bit weird. We all sang together, I was blind, but, but now I see. Did any, any of you sing that song? Evan, you did? Can you tell me the story about the time you were blind? So what are you doing singing that? I'm sorry, I'm not trying to pick on you, man. All, all these grown-ups, all these grown-ups in, the in the room sang it too. I was blind, but now I see. I want to hear the stories of people who were blind. And by the way, Mr. Walter Grissel, we've celebrated with him last year, a member of this church, was blind with some fierce cataracts, and he got surgery, and then he could see. It was like this incredible gift. So he can sing it. <laughs> He's not here. He's actually back in the hospital. We need to pray for Mr. Walter. But... What are the rest of us doing saying, I was blind, but now I see? What sense in the world does that make? Somebody's catching on. Just because he's not with us as often, I'm going to choose Jim. 
Jem, what do you think? No, it's more okay, you just lost some of the little ones. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Who can give me a less literary, less kid of an English professor answer? Um, Graham. Does that make sense to anybody? No. Give both these two a round of applause. Great job. Let me give you the way the Apostle Paul says it. Let me give you the way the Apostle Paul says it in the letter of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, just like in the beginning, God said, let there be light. Anybody ever read that in the Bible, the very first page of the Bible, or learn about that in Sunday school? I want to hear all about it, James. Yeah, a lot, a lot of us, a lot of us. Have, have heard that at the very beginning, the very first thing God created was he said, let there be light. And it's literal light, right, Jem? That was literal. It was like, and, and, and probably also some symbolic ways, but also literal. Let there be light. And the Apostle Paul says this. This is what Graham and Jem are saying, everybody, who didn't catch up to it. In the same way that God said, let there be light at the beginning, the Apostle Paul says, when you come to faith in God, there is a let there be light moment in your heart. It's like you, you didn't really understand what God was about. And some of you are still figuring out, some of the grown-ups are still figuring out what God is about. And then as you come to faith, it's like, as Graham said, the lights come on. Let me put it this way. Um, once in a while, I'm talking, Charlie, I'm going to pick on you for a second just because you're my son. Charlie's telling me how he feels about something. And I don't really understand what's going on. He's got to tell me how he feels. And he explains it really well to me. And then I say, oh, I see. I see what you mean. Can I see his feelings? It means like I understand, right? I understand. We're going to read a passage of the Bible today with you and all the grown-ups about two kinds of people. One guy is healed by Jesus. He's blind. And then he literally, Jim Trot, literally begins to see. And there's all these other people who can see already with their eyes, but their heart can't see anymore. It's like they're making the decision to not see God even though he's right there. Right there, working, healing. Making things that we see and eat and enjoy. Governing the very planets that are moving and the sun moving. And, it, and, and we close the eyes of our heart now is what I'm talking about. And we act like we can't see him. Yeah, anybody have a question? Give me, give me your hand, Isaac. I want to hear what you have to say. What do you say, bud? Yeah, well, we're going to talk about it if you listen closely, but it's an excellent question. It's like, it's like Jesus is there explaining God to them. They can't, well, they can see him with their eyes, but in their hearts they're saying, we don't really believe you're from God, even though you're doing these amazing things. So with their heart, they're not seeing. If this is a little confusing, we're going to explain it a little bit more. One more question for you, young lady, Maisie. Um, if, if it's God, um, is, like, anything he can make Maisie, you're right. Maisie just said God can make anything and God can make a baby brother and a baby sister. We're actually going to talk about God making people today a little bit too. Because I think Jesus uh, hints at that a little, about, 
a little bit in these verses. So everybody, you've done a fantastic job, um, and you've been very good listeners. Before I send you back to the grown-ups, I want to give you a few instructions. And I always say this when we, when we send you back to your grown-ups, to listen in on the whole service. Does that make you feel a little bit grown-up, by the way? Yeah. yeah. It might be a little bit, a little teeny bit more boring in a few moments, but you also get to see things that you otherwise don't get to see in the grown-up worship. And some of you are taking a class right now called Catechism Class. Raise your hand if you're in Catechism right now. And so, well, some of you just did it. Yeah, some of you are in it, some of you just did it, where you begin to receive communion for the first time. And, and there's nobody will ever force you to believe what your parents believe or your grown-ups believe. But there's an opportunity to really study the Christian faith and say, do I believe in Jesus? And do I want to follow him the way some of the grown-ups in my life are following him? So seeing what we do in worship is a really important part of this. So even though it's going to be a little bit hard in a few moments, I want you to try to pay attention. And if you lose attention, just bring it back a little bit. And before you know it, we'll be singing again, which is a little bit easier to pay attention to. All right, grown-ups, give, give them a round of applause. And you can go ahead back to your grown-ups. And I'm going to be reading from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. This is, hey, Jim, just so you know, on the PowerPoint, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip verses 17 through uh, 23, um, just to make it a little bit briefer this morning, though it's there, and you all can refer back to it in a few, few moments. This is in your bulletin on page three. It will be on the screen, but the screen will come down, so you'll still want to have this in front of you if you don't have your own hard copy of the Bible this morning. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. As he passed by, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Skipping now to page, uh, verse 24 on the next page. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. 
One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. What do you want to hear it again for? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, We see. Your guilt remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. So if you're not familiar, we've, we've been in a sermon series, a really focused sermon series on the Gospel of John. It's not looking at every verse in the Gospel of John. We're looking specifically at the times when Jesus encounters somebody for the first time. And, I mean, well, I guess call it evangelism, if you want to use the big and Christian-y word. Um, there are moments when Jesus is welcoming people for the first time into the kingdom of God. We're just looking at how that works, how Jesus does it. How Jesus invites people to let the light come on, as Graham put it. I like that. Let the light switch come on, and to see God and behold God and enter into life with God. And uh, the ways that Jesus welcomes people into the kingdom can be as different as one person is from another. But in encounter after encounter, there is at least one common thing. One thing that all these uh, encounters have in common and that's that God is the main actor. God is the one doing stuff to bring people in, and I'll give you some examples. So first, you have Jesus approaching these just working stiffs, these fishermen, Andrew, Peter, Nathaniel, and he's trying to convince them, look, God can use anybody, and God can use anybody from everywhere. Remember, that's, that's where they said, this Jesus is from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from a fisherman like me? And Jesus says, what God can do, God can do anything through anyone from any place. In, in John 3, uh, we had Jesus encountering this respected religious leader, Nicodemus, and kind of gives him a lesson in spirituality 101. He says to Nicodemus, the spirit of God blows like wind into people's lives. So God's the actor there too, right? God is blowing like wind into people's lives and even birthing people into new life, birthing people into new spiritual life. That's why we talk about being born again. It's the words of Jesus, being born again. John 4, Jesus meets a shamed woman who is unwelcome with God's people, 
And Jesus tells her, you know, God is seeking people just like you from every nation to be carried along by his spirit and to worship him. John 5, Jesus says after he heals a paralytic man on the Sabbath, he says, you know, God's always working. He's never stopped. He's always working, making dead things alive and recreating. John 6, last week, Victor preached on the feeding of the 5,000. And the disciples were like, look, we don't have enough food to feed all these many people. And Jesus says, well, just take a look at what's already here, what God's already given you, and ask the question, what can God make of it? So he takes, blesses, breaks, and gives, just like we do in communion every week. Take, bless, break, give. And God feeds everybody. So what's the point? God's the actor, birthing, seeking, convicting, forgiving, then using, working, and transforming. The Gospel of John is a great big view of God when it comes to people in the dark, Graham, people in the dark coming to light, coming to his light, right? John 9. A guy who is literally lights out from birth. And there's just going to be three points in this encounter. Look, it's the same book. It's the Gospel of John. We're going to have some repetitive themes. The three I'm going to give you today that you're going to have heard before. You will have heard these things before. The timing of God's work, the power of God's work, and the effect of God's work. Okay, kids, stay with me here. The timing of God's work. Does the when, does when God's work in your life matter at all? Verse 1 through 3 They see this blind guy, these disciples that are walking with Jesus, and they ask Jesus, it's a very important question, Jesus, who sinned that this man had to be born blind? There's a big assumption here. These followers of Jesus are assuming that if somebody had such a horrible thing happen in their life as to be born blind, somebody must have done something really bad. I don't know if you kids would have had the same question. If you see something bad happening to somebody, maybe on the street, or maybe somebody in your family, something bad happens. I don't know if you have ever asked, they must have done something really bad. And what does Jesus say about that? Jesus said nobody sinned for this man to be born blind. This is very important what he says next. He was born in this way so that God's works might be displayed in him. Let me put that another way. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that this lifelong situation of this blind man was arranged by God so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In the meantime, it must have been tough for him to wait for God to show up in his life, right? Let me just say before saying any more, this is a really hard sentence from Jesus. Confronting this guy in a lot of pain, who's been blind his whole life, and Jesus says, you know why this happened? Because God wanted to show him and the world something through this situation. I think a lot of us who are having a hard time, and this isn't just the grown-ups in this room, this is the kids in this room too. A lot of us who are having a hard time right now, sometimes we ask the question, why hasn't God helped me yet? Why hasn't God helped me yet? It's almost like we act like God's late. There's actually, in a couple more chapters, in a couple more chapters, uh, there's a woman named Martha and a woman named Mary. 
and their brother had just died. And they both say to Jesus, Jesus, if you hadn't been late, our brother would have still been alive. I think a lot of us have this problem. And what I want you all to hear is that, as hard as this might be to hear, God is not late. That's what Jesus is saying. God is never late. This is a little bit more for you grown-ups, so I'll be brief with it. One of the abiding myths of modernity is that suffering can and should be eliminated. One of the abiding myths of our time is that suffering can be eliminated and that it should be altogether. That's actually not true, and here's what I mean. It's not only not true, it's also not desirable. I'm going to quote a guy named Stephen Freeman, who I think writes beautifully on suffering and shame and in a lot of our experience where we say, is God late or what? He says this, the virtues of patience, endurance, sacrifice, selflessness, generosity, kindness, steadfastness, loyalty, and all other such qualities are impossible without the presence of suffering. Let me say that again. Without the presence of suffering, none of these things are possible. Patience, endurance, sacrifice, selflessness, generosity, kindness, steadfastness, loyalty, and any other such quality. Now listen, the Christian faith does not denigrate attempts to relieve suffering. That's a good thing. Yes. And yet, Christ is simply clear that all will suffer. And it is pretty much the case that no good thing comes about in human society except through some voluntary suffering of some person or persons. And apart from examples in scripture like the blind man who's been waiting, it's usually a bad idea to try to identify with certainty exactly how God intends to use my suffering. That's not what I'm saying. We can't always make perfect sense of it in the moment, but I hope it gives us hope when we think about these deep truths. If anybody acts heroically, if anybody is patient, if anybody learns how to be generous and loving and to endure, it means that there's been suffering and it's not altogether desirable that it stops immediately. This is a huge part of our lives. Don't believe the myth. Don't believe the myth that all suffering is obnoxious and to be eradicated immediately at any cost. It's very important. He's not late. He's not late. He'll collect it all. He'll collect it all. Say, where was your faith? And then immediately be gracious and merciful. But to say, did you know you could trust me with this? And if you forgot, let me show you again that you can. The timing of God's work. He's working. He's always, always, always working. You know, one picture of this Maisie actually brought out in the open. Thank you, Maisie, when you were down here on the carpet. You said, God can also make little brothers and sisters. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit brought into your heart to bring that up. But one of the great, great pictures of this kind of waiting, I might have even mentioned it in this series. I don't think I have. Um, I don't know if anybody knows a midwife. It's a nurse or a doctor or just a skilled friend 
who's there when a lady's giving birth. And one thing that the midwife or, or the nurse uh, or, or the doctor usually doesn't do is they, unless they have to, they usually don't try to rush it out right away. They wait. And they know how it works a little bit, but they know they can't make it happen on their own time, and that's what we are. It's like we're midwives in each other's lives. And when does it come? When is this new thing God's doing going to be born? It's on his time, but we can wait and watch with hope. Knowing that he's always working, something will happen, and we're there waiting and watching with total hope. It's called spiritual midwifery, and it's a huge part of our faith. But here's the other thing you need to get. You need to be, you need to be ready to watch some pain and not even, not even rush to relieve other people you love from it right away sometimes if God's doing a good thing. This takes wisdom to apply. Ask your grown-ups to, or me if you need to, the timing. Secondly, the power. Okay, kids, I need to engage again. This is really, really important. I need somebody to raise your hands, and I very rarely do this. Grown-ups, don't get used to it. Uh, raise your hand and tell me what is needed for a plant to grow. Uh, only Thank you for these hands. I'm, only, I'm mainly going to focus on people who haven't raised their hand yet. MJ. You need water for a plant to go. Very good. A few other things. Ella, what else do you need? Soil, water, soil. I'm looking for one other main thing. There might be more. Uh, Livy, what do you think? Beautiful. Water, soil, and sun are needed for a plant to grow. Now listen to this. Did you know that in this passage, all three things are present? First of all, you have Jesus taking soil. From the ground. You see, he made mud to heal this man's eyes. But he, what did he mix it with? Was anybody listening to what Jesus mixed the soil with? Um, it wasn't water, although the man washed, Annabelle later washed his eyes with water. Uh, Georgia. Spit. Jesus one time spit and made mud and rubbed it on a dude's eyeballs. It's true. You can laugh. It's gross. And what else does Jesus say in this passage? He says, I am the light of the world. Second time in two chapters he said that if you've been reading through the Gospel of Mark. And what's Jesus doing in saying this? Um, there are all these places, all these places, where Jesus is drawing comparisons to the original creation. You remember how God took dust at the beginning and mixed it with his own stuff to make a human being. Again, we talked about already the let there be light was the first thing created. Here's the thing you have to know about plants, though. Kids, stay with me. Did you know that you can have water and soil and light, but even scientists, and I'm no scientist, so I'm just going to say something painfully obvious and controversial over the past few centuries. You scientists, I know, will correct me. Even that can't explain the mystery of why something grows at all. The mystery of life is unexplained. Why is there something instead of nothing? Why did these, what we call inanimate things, like dirt and water, how does life come at all ever? Listen to this, only from God. This is the power of God. Folks, we can set the table, we can get things ready like water and soil and light, but if something's gonna grow spiritually or in any other way, life has always got to come from God. 
We do not have power in of ourselves to bring the kingdom of God on earth or to bring new life. But the good news is he promises to work through us. But we have to know it's him. All life and all healing of life and all resurrection life is God's work. Just throwing a few other things out there, kids, just so you know how deep the Bible can get and how wonderful and mysterious and magnificent it is. There's all these other places I I don't have time to get into where uh, the gospel writer John is drawing comparisons between Jesus' healing and God's first creation that we read about in Genesis 1. I already talked about the let there be light thing and Jesus saying, hello, I'm the light of the world. That dust, creating something from dust moment. How about this? The Sabbath. This happens on the Sabbath. If you know the early chapters of the Bible, you know Sabbath was a memorial of creation, remembering God created and he rested. And it's also a promise of a future rest. Jesus heals so often on the Sabbath, it seems like he's saying, God's future Sabbath rest is now in me. You might not understand all this, but get this. Every time somebody who seems pretty smart gets up and starts talking about the Bible, there's way more they don't understand than they do. So you're not alone if there's some questions that remain. The power of God's work, the timing, he's never late. The power of God's work, it doesn't matter how simple it is. If it's prayer, if it's you helping somebody who needs help, if it's you reading the Bible and feeling close to him, that's God's spirit working in you and through you. The power is always his. Same thing if you're praying for someone to come to faith or grow in faith. You're asking God to work. Thirdly and finally, you kids have been great, by the way. I'm pretty impressed. Thirdly and finally, the effect of God's work. We've talked about the timing, then the power, now the effect of God's work. At the end of the story, I talked about this at the beginning, there's some of these people who just can't believe that Jesus actually healed this guy. This is verses 24 to 41 in particular. They're convinced that because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, therefore he has to be a sinner. And at the same time, because he's a sinner, they can't believe that he actually healed him. You see how crazy that is? They're upset because he healed on the Sabbath. Therefore, God can't be working through him. But at the same time, they're saying, he couldn't have really healed because he's a sinner. They're almost blinding themselves if you can see it that way, because they refuse. It's like God's right there saying, I'm here to shine, and they're taking, get this, window shades and pulling them down in their hearts. Or to use Graham's metaphor, it's like he flipped on the switch, and they're running to flip it off again. Kids, on one level, this is a simple story. As deep as the Bible can get, I just talked about that, the mystery of the Bible. I want you to know, most of the time, a lot of the plain things are also pretty simple. It's important to know so you just don't get lost in despair when you're reading it. I want you to know that ultimately this is a passage about a blind man being given sight. But it's also about those who think they can see becoming blind. How do we apply this to end this sermon. Thanks for staying with me, kids. There is a way to overthink it. Sometimes I think, all right, well, if God is the only one whose power can make good things happen at the end of the day, then why do I sit around and do anything ever? 
Well, he promises, actually, to work through people. Yes, he has the power to give sight, but he also says to you, I want you to see. Some of these Pharisees who don't believe Jesus, here's what you need to know. Some of them actually do become people who trust Jesus and love him and follow him. How do we know? Because at the end of this very book, the first Pharisee who comes to Jesus, Nicodemus, is there, probably in some danger of his life, preparing his tomb with Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus is at the beginning of this gospel, the Pharisee who doesn't understand. The lights are off, but he's saying, I want to see and he's given sight to see and believe and to know God. He's there at the end. What does that mean? He came to faith. Hard-hearted people do believe and change. I want you to know that happens every day. Roman centurions. These were brutal warrior army leaders of at least 100 people. That's why they're called centurions, century. These brutal leaders, some of them, through encounters with Jesus, became men of peace who learned to defend the helpless instead of giving them a hard time, exploiting them. Masters and servants in Jesus' times broke bread as equals at the table of their big brother, Jesus. Fearful Peter becomes a leader. Every time it was impossible, and God did it anyway. So how does it work for you? Let me end like this. How does it work for you? How does it work for you grown-ups? You want sight, but there's also this very real reality. This, this passage really lands on the warning, too. So I want to land it just as the text lands it. It ends on the warning. You really can think you see, and you're getting blinder all the time. How do we receive that warning? Think about it this way. Kids and grown-ups, you both know what this is like. Let's say you're in a fight with somebody and you know the Lord is inviting you to say sorry. Or that the Lord's inviting you just to approach that person and just do something loving. And maybe you do. That softens your heart a little. It makes it easier to do the next time. If you don't, it makes it harder to do the next time. You see this in Pharaoh. You kids in Liberty Kids Club are studying Exodus right now. Pharaoh's heart, the more he rejected the freeing grace of God for the Israelites, his heart became harder and harder and harder and harder. The more you turn to God and hope and believing that he loves you and he wants to free you by his grace and he can do anything, your heart gets softer and softer and softer. That's something you can act on today. Is there any way today that God is saying, Michael, Reed, Isaac, Annabelle, Maisie, El, Isla, Olive, trust me. Trust me today. you got a big life ahead, Lord willing, and it's going to be hard at some times. You hold on to me. I hold your life. Don't go holding on to your life. Trust me. If you trust him today, it actually will get easier to trust him tomorrow. If he's shining the light, this passage calls us, don't close the shades. He who said, let there be light at the beginning, today, causes the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ in your heart to say, let there be light. Say yes to him. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.